Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good to be here in the house of worship on, uh, boy, what a uh, rough and tumble, you know, you wake up to the thunder and the lightning and the rain and the dreariness this morning, but it's good to be here, um, and I, you know, we were singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and uh, what an amazing song that is, but I, I was thinking, great is your faithfulness for getting out here in the midst of all the rain to be here today. Um, our scripture today comes, as uh, Pastor Christina already noted, from the back of the book. We're in Revelation chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 9. Now, Revelation, of course, is, um, is a vision that Jesus has given to a man named John. So when it refers to I, we're, it, this is John who's, who's talking. He says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you're the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who've come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning and for being with us wherever we go. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts anew to your word today, that we might not only learn something, but, Father, that we would live by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I certainly want to begin today by saying Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and to all who, uh, who play the role of a maternal uh, figure in your family, um, maybe as a, as a grandmother, as an aunt. Um, many of you are, are moms not just to um, your biological uh, children, but also to their friends and, uh, and to nephews and nieces and, and so on and so on. But as Pastor Christina mentioned, I also realize this can be a really hard day for a lot of folks, too. Um, especially for those who have lost their mothers and are thinking about them today, or for mothers who have lost children, for women who are trying to have children, and for people who don't have a particularly good relationship with their mother. This day can be tough. You know, not every family is like the Bradys or the Cunninghams, the Keatons or the Huxtables that I grew up watching on TV, or even like the Dunphys or the Johnsons that I watch today. But a good mother is such a good example of God's love. 
Many mothers are willing to do almost anything in order to communicate their love to their children. Some even try desperately to keep up with the changing communication styles and methods that are popular among young people today. Um, my wife, uh, as you may know, is the uh, mother of three teenagers, and she is very fluent in texting emojis and, um, and different acronyms, you know, back and forth with our kids. I'm always asking what the different acronyms mean. Um, I, the only ones I know are RSVP, ESPN, and SPRC. Those are the only ones I know. But young people, they don't text using those acronyms. Um, I read recently where one mother wanted to know the meaning of the acronyms that were coming across her text messages. So she texted her son. She said, what do IDK, LY, and TTYL mean, she asked in a text message. And without explanation, the son texted back, I don't know, love you, talk to you later. Which, of course, were the meanings of IDK, LY, and TTYL, but mom didn't get it, so she just wrote back, okay, I'll ask your sister. You know. <laughs> Another mother texted her son, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. The son replied, mom, why is that funny? And mom texted back, it's not funny, David, what do you mean? The son texted, well, mom, LOL means laughing out loud. And mom replied, oh, no, I thought it meant lots of love. I'm going to have to call everybody back now. <laughs> so I get it, mom. I'm with you all the way, I tell you. It's hard to keep up. Um, a few years ago, the Des Moines Register newspaper asked readers to send in stories about their moms. And a woman named Donna Devereaux Copeland submitted this short but very powerful example of a mother's love and comfort. She wrote, On my first day of kindergarten, my mother gave me her wedding ring to keep in my sock as a reminder that I would be all right and that she was coming back for me. Now, can any of y'all imagine doing that with your kid? You know, giving them your wedding ring on the first day of school when they're five years old? Oh my gosh, um, but what a powerful reminder to her frightened child that you're going to be okay, and I'll come back for you. Isn't that what God offers to us in the image of the cross? Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God left us a powerful symbol of comfort, saying you're going to be all right, and I'm coming back for you. There's so many times when we need to be reminded of that promise. We all come to those times in our lives when we need God's tender care, when no one else can offer the comfort that we need. For there are hurts that only God can heal. There are burdens that only God can lift. There are fears that only God can put to rest. So it is with great joy that we read the good news for today there at the back of the book in Revelation where it says God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Love that. Because life is hard. Sometimes it's really, really hard. We don't understand why that is, but it just is. The writer of Revelation, he knew all about the hardships. He knew about the tears. He lived in a time when Christians were being cruelly persecuted. Revelation chapter 6, the chapter right before the one that we just read, indicates that during this time, many Christians were being tortured and even killed for their belief. In fact, we read, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain 
because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They were thrown in the gladiator pits. They were torn apart by wild animals. Some were burned alive. The apostle John, the author of Revelation, who's living in exile on the Isle of Patmos, he had friends and fellow believers who suffered greatly under Roman rule. He couldn't be present to comfort them all in the midst of all of their sufferings. He could only pray and weep. Sometimes that's all we can do, right? Pray and weep and offer a word of encouragement. I read recently a story of Douglas Maurer, who was 15 years old. He's a young man living in Missouri. He'd been feeling bad for several days. His mother checked his temperature and saw that it was fluctuating between 103 and 105. Okay, pretty serious, right? And he was having severe flu-like symptoms. So mom took him to the hospital in St. Louis, and um, he was diagnosed with having leukemia at 15. The doctors told him in frank terms about his disease. They said, look, for the next three years, you're going to be having to do chemotherapy. And they didn't sugarcoat the side effects either. They said, you're going to lose your hair. You're going to get bloated. Um, upon learning this, he went into this deep, deep depression and so his aunt called up a floral shop to send Douglas an arrangement of flowers hoping to perk him up. And she told the clerk that it was for her young nephew who had leukemia. And when the flowers arrived at the hospital, they were beautiful. And Douglas, he, he got out the card from his aunt and he read it. And then he saw that there was a second card inside the flower arrangement. And he took that out and it said, Douglas, I'm the one who took this order. I work at Bricks Florist. I had leukemia too when I was just seven years old. But I'm 22 now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. His face just lit up. Relating Douglas' story, journalist Bob Green writes, it's funny, Douglas Maurer was in a hospital filled with millions of dollars of the most expensive, sophisticated medical equipment in the world. He was being treated by expert doctors and nurses who had over a hundred years of medical experience, but it was a sales clerk in a flower shop making $170 a week who by taking the time to care and by being willing to just go with her heart and doing what she felt called to do gave Douglas the hope and the will to carry on. Sometimes all we can do is weep and pray and give a word of encouragement. What we need to see is that God does all that and more. In our time of need, God also comes to us with his love and comfort if we will just accept it. John writes, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. A woman named Rose saw her entire family, except for her two young daughters, slaughtered in the Rwandan genocide of 1994. Now she's a widow among many widows, living on very little money, but she refuses to be defeated. In fact, she's adopted two orphans, and simply trust God to provide enough food each day and the financial wherewithal to get these kids through school. She translates Christian literature into the local language and even pulls together a conference of widows in the community. She weeps as she tells her story, but for every problem in her life, 
She has one simple remedy. She says, for this, I have Jesus. For this, I have Jesus. Life is sometimes very, very hard. We wonder if anybody cares. And the answer is yes. Somebody does. The God of all creation. The God of heaven and earth. The God of everything that moves and breathes. That great God knows about your hurts, your needs, your concerns, your pain. And he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Sam Wells used to be the dean of Duke Chapel. And he was Pastor Christina's ethics professor when she was at school at Duke. He writes, the most important word in all the Bible, the most important word in all of theology is that little word with. He says, that's what God was about from the very beginning. That is what God sought to instill in the creation of all things. That is what God was looking for in making covenant with Israel. That is what God coming among us in Jesus was all about. That is what the sending of the Holy Spirit was all about. That is what our destiny in the company of God will look like. It is all in that little word with. God's whole life and action and purpose are shaped to be with us. Notice how personal and intimate that word picture is. That God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like a mother holding her child in her loving arms, giving comfort and solace. Now a cynic would say, oh, you're being too anthropomorphic. You know, which is a fancy word of saying that we're trying to create God in our image. Well, if that's true, then let's blame that on Jesus, all right? After all, doesn't he teach us to pray saying Abba or Daddy? Let the cynic scoff. For all his power and might and majesty, the God of the Bible has a tender heart of the most loving mother or father. God is with us through it all. Tim Gustafson tells of a grandmother in Burundi who proudly displays two pictures. One is of her daughter, and the other is of her grandson. Yet there's deep pain in the grandmother's face as she shows off these pictures, for her daughter died while giving birth to the grandson. A friend came up to admire the pictures. You see, two months earlier, she too had buried her son. She senses the grandmother's pain, and so she takes her face in her hands, and she simply cries with her, and says, I know, I know. God came in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, to share our pain. He is our great comforter because he knows. He knows our weakness, he knows our heartbreak. He came to wipe away our tears, to hold our face in his hands and say, I know, I know. But notice something else from our lesson in Revelation today. God's very intimate love is being expressed toward a very special group of believers. These are those who have come through the great ordeal where there was much suffering for the cause of Christ. These are those whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now they're all dressed in white before the throne of God, and he is personally wiping away every tear. Now it's important to understand that God's promises are to this group of people. 
you know, because many of us, well, how do I say it? They, we kind of have like this mushy kind of uh, faith that says, you know, everything's all right. Jesus loves me, this I know. Doesn't matter what I do with my life. You know, as long as I ask God for forgiveness, God's going to forgive me, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's what I preached last week about forgiveness. It is critical to our faith, but it's not something we should take for granted. I'm reminded of my next-door neighbor that I, I, growing up who used to say, you know, I can do whatever I want on Saturday night as long as I show up in church on Sunday and ask God for, to forgive me. And I'm like, that's not exactly how it works. The God revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos is no dispenser of what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. The love and concern that God gives to each of his children has been bought at a price. And it's not to be trampled upon. It's not to be used without careful consideration and confession, repentance, gratitude. We're so often like the little boy who goes up to his dad and says, uh, let's play darts, daddy. Um, I'll, I'll shoot the darts and you tell me I'm wonderful. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want a God who just says, you're wonderful. You know, you're accepted, you're loved, you're forgiven. Of course we do, right? But don't tell us that our robes are dirty. Don't talk to us about, you know, washing him in the blood of the lamb. That's weird, that's icky. Psychologists talk about parenting all the time today, right? And, um, and one of the things that they talk about is uh, tough love. And many parents today, they think they're loving their children when they give them lots of freedom, right? No guidance, make no demands upon them, let them do whatever they please. And unfortunately, um, that kind of love is usually rewarded only with resentment. You know, love is never a monologue. God's love is, it's all encompassing, it's inexhaustible, it's everlasting, but in order to experience that love, we've got to be open to him. We've got to be doing our part to maintain the relationship. We've got to seek to give our best if we want to receive the best. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Yeah, that's true, but what good is it for God to be with us if we never talk to him, if we never pray to him, if we never sing to him, if we never cry to him, if we never thank him? But there's one more thing to be said. If God has wiped away every tear from your eyes, shouldn't we be finding someone who has tears in their eyes and helping to wipe away their tears too? God's love is a very intimate, personal love, but that love is a two-way street. In fact, love at its best is not only between us and God, it's also to be shared, particularly with those who have tears in their eyes. Dave Brannon writes of the pain of losing his 17-year-old daughter in a car wreck. There's no greater grief than losing your child. Dave writes that he's gone over the events of that fateful night over and over and over again in his mind, wondering what could he have done differently that would have brought Melissa home safe to him that night. Dave calls this the land of what if. He says, in reality, though, the land of what if is not a good place for any of us. It's a place of regret, it's a place of second-guessing, it's a place of hopelessness. While the grief is real and the sadness obviously endures, he says life is better and God is honored if we dwell in the world of what is instead of what if. Choosing to live in the land of what is 
means remembering God's promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It means holding fast to the promise that Melissa is with God and that she will never experience pain or tears or sorrow. In the land of what is, Dave remembers that our God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And in the land of what is, Dave finds fellow believers who offer him comfort on those days that he needs it the most. Which land have you been living in recently? The land of what if? That land where you feel trapped by despair and hopelessness? Or the land of what is? Where you find your strength and hope in the promises of God. Through Jesus Christ, God offers you love and comfort now and unspeakable hope and joy for your future. Will you accept that love today? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we thank you for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us, to wipe away every tear from our eyes, to simply be with us. Gracious God, help us to be present with you, to take that tiny little word and make it our own. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who came to be with us. Amen.